This is Tom Harvey, the Economy Guy. Welcome to the world of macroeconomics and how it affects you. I am looking at the world's economics, trying to interpret them, and more importantly, wondering where they are going and what they are going to do to us in particular. So this is your window into that world. I don't give any personal financial advice. I just give information and facts as I see them, and occasionally my opinions. I want this to be an educational show for you, so you can learn to think for yourself and make your own great financial decisions. Please enjoy it, and welcome. It is Sunday, April 25th, and this is The Economy Guy coming to you one more time. It's getting near the end of April. How exciting. What a week. It was a, what I call a slow week in the markets. Uh, slow but gradual. In fact, the, the main thing that happened in the markets, in my opinion, just as an overall thing, was the inexorably slow movement of the U.S. dollar as it weakens. Again, it weakened and weakened and weakened. Things change that way. So what's coming up today? Today I'm going to start by, again, talk about different measures of the overvalued stock market. I mean, it's, why am I doing that? I want to uh, give you all of the different measures, and there's so many of them, of an overvalued or undervalued, in this case overvalued, stock market, so that you are aware of all of them. You can uh, understand them when you hear them in the news. You can think for yourself and decide what that means to you personally. So I'll be giving, throwing some more at you. Yeah, there are a lot of them. I'll, second, I'm going to review the uh, markets. Quick, quickly go through those. It should be really fast. And third, I'm going to uh, talk about transitory inflation. In more detail, what does transitory mean? I hit it last week. I'm going to do it again this week. I want you to have a pretty full understanding of what transitory inflation means because it's being used on the pro and con side. Is it, do people believe in it or not believe in it? Okay, and uh, last but not least, review the four precursors to a market crash and see where we stand after another week. So, uh, those are the four segments. That's it for the introduction. Let's go on to the first segment. And on to segment one. Let's talk about signs that the market might be overvalued. And I have three different signs here that are going on. A uh, couple brand new ones and one that's uh, a historic I brought up before, but I have some measurements for you. But let's stop at the first one. The first one is insiders are selling at a record right now. Now, what's an insider? An insider is a company officer who has access to the financials of his or her company and uh, is selling their shares. Now, it is uh, illegal to use insider information to make a profit on selling your own company's shares. Uh, I personally have been very close to companies uh, and, and understand how company officers are very aware of that. And uh, the typical solution for a company officer who has options and are exercising options, which means that they're changing uh, the promise of shares into shares uh, and then selling them for cash and putting it in their bank, 
the, what what they do is they just have a regular uh, pattern of selling their options and they do it on a given date every year and that way it doesn't look like they're using their insider information because they do have insider information they know how profitable it is or how, what the future sales are or if there's a major announcement coming out all of that is uh, is insider information and it can be used legally and illegally so what's happening and I'm, a, I'm assuming this is all legal insider information and that is there's a measure of the amount of insider trading that's going on in the stock market there's a measure of it and it's a crazy measure but it doesn't matter the uh, in, generally, when the uh, amount of insider selling peaks, it's two times the average or three, maybe up to very rarely three times the average of the uh, normal amount of selling that goes on or buying or selling. It's trading. Okay. And today, it's seven times the average. It's never been that high before. Why are insiders, this is the question for you to, to answer. Why are insiders trading at record, truly record amounts right now? What do they know? What are they seeing? You know, is it, uh, is it legal? Yes, I believe this insider trading is legal. I don't see any breaking of the law uh, here. Okay, now what's the second area that uh, I see happening? And that's that corporations are selling bonds. There's nothing wrong with selling bonds. I know that corporations are selling bonds because interest rates are so low. If you can... Uh, have a bunch of people give you a bunch of money so that you can have it uh, with interest rates low and then interest rates go up, you're going to win. So corporations are selling bonds like crazy. But what are they using that money for? Well, I think they're using a lot of that money to, <laughs> to buy back shares in their own company. That's, I mean, that's not my guessing. That's what I'm uh, reading in the, in the news that's going on. And What's really interesting is they're probably using a lot of that money to buy shares for the options that are being traded by the insider traders. Now that is uh, ethically questionable. Legal, it's legal, but it's ethically questionable in my opinion uh, to be borrowing money to pay off officers of the company on their options who are trading at maximum amounts now. Interesting. Now what's the third area? And this is one I've talked about in the past to you. So margin debt is at a peak. There's more margin that has been borrowed uh, now than uh, basically any time before. So that's not a problem. What is margin incidentally? Uh, it's a, if you put a hundred dollars into your stock account you can buy two hundred dollars worth of shares. A hundred dollars of the shares are money you put in and a hundred dollars you borrow that borrowed money is called margin so having a peak amount of margin debt right now means that people are borrowing a lot of money and in the most that they ever have so and that's not a problem it's not a problem generally it's not a problem people borrowing on margin they want to leverage themselves up uh, but uh, and, and being margining when there's a peak amount of margin is not a problem except when the market goes down that causes a self-feeding problem, which we've seen in the past. Uh, what happens is uh, if you can't meet your 50% requirement, uh, then you have to put money into your margin account. 
A lot of people can't do that, so they sell shares. So when the market goes down, it causes people to sell more shares, which causes the market to go down, which causes people to sell more shares, which causes the market to go down. It's a self-fulfilling crash, and it stops whenever the margin has dried up somewhat. Uh, so that's the problem with margin. Now let's look at the history of margin, which is kind of an interesting one because it's counter, totally counterintuitive, in my opinion. And that is, I have uh, three dates when the market peaked and then uh, came down significantly afterwards. One is the year 2000. That's the dot-com bust. The dot-com bust went up and the, and the margin amount, the margin amount at that dot-com peaked. And six months later, and that's the interesting part, six months later, the S&P 500 crashed. Six months. So it's, it's like it, the peak of the margin is actually a precursor to a market crash. That happened in 2000. In 2007, that's the housing market crash, the um, margin peaked. And then four and a half months later, the S&P came down. Okay, that's interesting. Well... Here's the third one. Today, we are peaking on margin again. And if, uh, if history is what it is, and I'm not betting it will be, but it might be, that says within a few months, the history says four and a half or six months from today, the market will crash again. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, it's another thing. It's, it's not on my precursor list, so it's, it's not that good of a precursor, but it's, it is uh, historically true. That's it for the first segment. Now on to the second. And on to the second segment. Let's just quickly review the markets this last week. Uh, the Dow Jones, so representing st the stock markets of the United States, ended at 34,044. That was down about 150 points from the previous week. It actually had gone down significantly more and had a major recovery at the end of the week. So again, sideways sideways but at a max it's it's truly peaking 34,000 is up there very close it was it's within hundreds of points of another peak another never made it before in its lifetime high okay on to the 10-year treasury an always interesting one ended the week at 1.567 the previous week was 1.573 so actually the interest rate rate went down ever so slightly basically sideways i consider it still resting I have uh, more to talk about that in the precursor. That's one of the major precursors that we're talking about. Uh, and it's getting uh, tense in that in uh, ten year right now. Okay, the third one, the U.S. dollar, uh, was, which the big big movement was the big movement is, was in the U.S. dollar this last week. It ended with year against the euro at one point two one. Previous week it was one point one nine eight. Against the pound is one point three nine. It was one point three eight the previous week. Against the yen, it was 107.8. The previous week, it was 108.8. Basically, the dollar fell 1% against, roughly, 1% against all international, the major international currencies. Uh, that's a major move. Another major move by the dollar, a weakening dollar, uh, is what we expected and is happening. It was the strengthening that happened a few months ago that was a big surprise. But here we go. Here we go, and it's uh, kind of back to where it started before it strengthened. That's where the dollar is now. Now, now is the interesting point in the future. Okay, oil. 
What's oil uh, ended at $62 a barrel? It was 63 the previous week, basically sideways. So um, you still have expensive gasoline out there, and it's going to get more expensive. Gold ended the, the uh, week at 1778, which is identically what it was the week before. So no change in gold. Uh, it went, in fact, gold made a major move up, hit about 1800 during the week, end up back down. Uh, so uh, gold is uh, setting its tests, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. That's it for the review of the markets. Let's move on to segment three. And on to segment three, transitory inflation. Uh, it's, this is a complex subject, and, uh, and it's complex, which means nobody in this world can understand where inflation's going or what the future of inflation is. But I want to give you a little more in-depth of what, what is actually happening, as has happened. The, uh, the Fed uses the word transitory. What is transitory? Transitory means that Basically, inflation that prices go up and stay there and don't go up further. Or prices go up and then they come back down again. That's transitory. That's a, Either one of those is a transitory inflation. Whereas if you have ever-increasing prices up, 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 then that's not transitory inflation. That's just plain old inflation, which is what we're used to, actually, right? So... Uh, the Fed is using the word transitory because it wants to keep the markets calm, calm, because regular inflation is not friendly to stock markets historically. It's uh, deadly to bond markets historically. So the Fed is worried about using the word inflationary. So they created this new thing called transitory inflation. Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it more in depth. What are about pri what prices are going up? Well, here's some what I consider non-transitory price increases. Procter & Gamble, uh, who make a lot of the products that people buy out there, say they will raise their, be raising their prices in September, across the board, due to the uh, increased uh, prices of their uh, raw products that they make things out of. Kimberly-Clark has already raised prices. How about in the grocery store? Smuckers raised, has raised their prices. Did you know that? Coca-Cola has raised their prices. These are products that are widely used and are not transitory the, because these companies have slowly drip, 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 increased prices, increased rates. So that's regular inflation. That's going on in these companies. And uh, they're being affected just like you are with uh, increased uh, input prices that they use, their products. Now, how about other things like automobiles have been going up forever, right? I think that's not transitory. How about uh, construction? Well, there's one I can't think that might be transitory. Might be. It depends on the market itself. Right now it's not. But it could be. You know, who knows? Furniture, again, maybe transitory, maybe not. Um, gasoline. Uh, you have to look into the future on that one. Gasoline, if it's politically motivated, is not transitory. Uh, if it weren't, it, it is transitory. Uh Again, so we'll see what that is. And uh, and then part of this is wages. What about wage inflation? Well, right now it looks like wages are going up about 2% a year. That's the best numbers that people are measuring. But uh, that's a number that's looking backward in time. You only know what wage inflation is by looking at the history, not into the future. So 
if you're looking back, actually what's happened is uh, lower pri paid people were uh, losing their jobs. And higher paid people working from home were not losing their jobs. So the average wages, were, if you look at averages of all those people, was actually going up without changing. The average was, and think about that as a concept, the average was going up because you were removing the people at the lower end of the wage scale and the upper end were continuing to work. So that's kind of, uh, when you look at wage numbers, you really have to scratch your head and, and think about what that really means. So now let's look at some raw products and that are, uh, in this case, transitory in my mind. Uh, here's a big one that is it almost everything that you buy is affected by, and that's plastic. Plastic prices have gone up. Yeah, now, there's two kinds of plastic out there, depending on the, the major input of it. One is called polypropylene, and that has increased in price in this last year by 100%. And the second type is polyethylene, and that has increased by 60% over this last year. Now, both of those types of plastics, the prices should ease and come back down by the end of this year as production catches up. These were production shortfalls during the COVID test. So the COVID affected it on the upside, and the uh, solution to COVID will push it back down on the downside. And uh, these prices will come down. This, this is an interesting one. It, that, it'll happen in the United States faster than the rest of the world. The United States reacts to prices and its markets faster than the rest of the world. Europe will suffer from increased plastic prices much longer than the United States. So in the United States, uh, plastic prices are transitory in bag. It looks like they will come down. It's a, you know, you know, you have to use your crystal ball and look into the future. What's another one that we all know about? That's lumber. Gosh, wood prices are crazy. And COVID did uh, increase the price of lumber significantly. How much? Up to 200% increase in the price of lumber. I mean, I think it's real easy to see 100% by going to your local Home Depot or Lowe's for lumber. But there were places where it went up 200%. And again, that will ease back down with time and is transitory. Uh, again, we need a healthy environment. We need people going back to work and chopping down trees. And we need people growing trees. We need all of that happening. Uh, but it looks like Lumber itself will be transitory, which is why I said it's questionable what will happen to construction and furniture because a major con contributing input cost to those industries is lumber. So that's it for it. Now, why did I talk about transitory versus non-transitory inflation? It's because in depth, it's a very complex. You have to put together all of the products, all of the markets, all of the ups and downs that are going on to come up with a consumer price index or a performer, a, a, a PPI, which is what the input prices index for uh, what's input to the factory, different things. A producer price index is what it is. So it is literally impossible for anyone to keep their finger on all of these price changes that are going on. The Fed being one of those organizations that should be keeping their finger on the price because they're using that to determine whether or not to increase 
interest rates. And if they do increase interest rates, to crash the market. So when you look at this, that's why I'm giving you the complexity of, of prices. Uh, I want you to have a more rich understanding of, of what we're talking about. When we're talking about inflation, people talk about, oh, inflation, inflation. You know, I see it in the grocery store. Well, that's not the whole story. It's far from it. And it is highly complex and, and very personal and individual. So that's it for the third segment. And on to the fourth, the precursors. And on to the fourth and last segment, the six precursors to a market crash. Where do we stand as of the end of last week? Well, the first precursor is the 10-year Treasury bond. What we're looking for here is that we're looking at the interest rate of the 10-year Treasury and an increasing interest rate. Because uh, what happens with an increasing interest rate is uh, the Fed will react to it and raise their own interest rates based on uh, trying to dampen down the uh, this this interest rate. So uh, what do we have? The, the end of the week was 1.567%. Previously, is 1.7%. We have a falling interest rate, which means it's not a not a danger. We would look for increasing as being the danger. Um, basically, it's went sideways. It were, it's resting. Now, what is it really doing? When you look at the technical analysis of the 10-year, which means what is the price movement over time and what are the patterns that that price movement is making, the current interest rate of the 10-year is at a critical point at, as of the end of last week. It is at a uh, what's called the bottom of a, of a downtrend channel, and it will either bounce off of that and go up, danger, danger, going up, or fall through it and go down, which is, uh, uh, you know, which would not be a precursor, but would be a very different pattern. Uh, I, I, impossible to predict which way it is, but it would, has a very strong support at that. I suspect it's going to go up. We will see through this week what happens. Uh, it's a, it is a truly critical point, uh, for interest rates. The second precursor is high yield bonds. What this is, is junk bonds. Now, junk bonds getting stronger or weaker where this is the price of the bonds. So, uh, we're looking for a weakening price, which means increased interest rate for bonds, but a weakening price. And um, it, it was a 9.03, which down from a 9.05 the previous week, basically sideways, still a relatively strong market. Um, when the um, junk bonds fall off in value, which means that maybe it goes down to 8.5, something like that, then that is a definite precursor in it, and the stock market has always crashed. Uh, and it happens before the stock market crashes. That's why we watch this one intently. But it's not a danger right now. Stock market looks like a strong place. In fact, it looks like a, a place to put your money if uh, uh, if you believe those people who say that. Don't take that as an advice, please. Uh, the third precursor is the U.S. dollar. Where what we were expecting here is uh, as a precursor is a falling U.S. dollar, calling causing uh, rapid inflation. Uh, and we are getting a falling dollar now, but it's fallen back to the point where it started. So it actually isn't falling yet. It's uh, it, it strengthened, 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 and then fell back down to where it started. It is not a precursor right now. So that is, we're in, still in safe territory. 
The fourth one is the Consumer Price Index. We talked about that last week. It's a 2.6. It's definitely one to be watching for the future, and that's why I'm spending all the time talking about inflation and what is going on with inflation. The uh, fifth one is uh, the Fed policy. If the Fed ever changed their policy, that can cause a market crash. Specifically, if the Fed increased their interest rate, historically, the market crashes. So, uh, and there are lots of things that cause it. Uh, and it, did the Fed know what they're doing? We've talked about all this, these various what ifs in the past, but this last week, nothing changed with the Fed. And uh, bless, bless the Fed, because uh, they are the strongest. Uh, they carry the biggest club in this particular game. And the sixth precursor is a bluebird, something coming out of the blue, and there was no, there were no new bluebirds this last week. However, we have the lingering bluebird from two or three weeks ago, which is the Archegos hedge fund uh, bankruptcy that fell out, and and in particular the banks that they were affecting. Now, let's, there's been more news on that front. Now, the major bank that didn't know what they were doing. I mean, there were several banks that didn't know what they were doing and got out from under early, but the banks that didn't get out from under and got hurt were, uh, the main one is Credit Suisse. There are two big banks in Switzerland. One is Credit Suisse and one is UBS. Credit Suisse is the one that lent money to this uh, person who was doing the hedge fund and, and went bankrupt. So Credit Suisse took it on the chin. Now they've just reported their, rev their, uh, their earnings, okay? And believe it or not, the Credit Suisse revenue increased by 31%, which should be really good for that company, right? Except that they, uh, their profit was negative $250 million, $275 million. So they made more money, but they lost money. And they lost it because of that bankruptcy, specific bankruptcy. And not only that, they're announcing that next the next quarter they're going to lose, uh, have to write off an additional $655 million from their profits. Uh, now, that does, is not going to make them bankrupt, but it's certainly going to make them look bad financially. So, uh, interesting uh, what's going on there. Uh, here's a, a, a bad thing for that bank. Did you know the Swiss Financial Authority, uh, which is, every country has one that watches people who... Uh, run the stock market is now investigating Credit Suisse. That's not good. No company likes to be investigated by a federal authority, and this is the case of the Swiss federal authority. Uh, also, the, uh, the Credit Suisse had to raise more money. They were losing so much, so they have sold new shares of Credit Suisse. Uh, 203 million shares of Credit Suisse they're selling on the open market in order to raise $2 billion to bolster their financial position. Now, all banks need a reserve. It's a, it's a, a legal requirement to have a certain reserve in order to be able to sustain major losses that just happened to Credit Suisse. And so it was so bad that they have to raise their reserves now. So they're putting $2 billion in the bank in order to bolster their reserves. Now, you know, why all these words about Credit Suisse as a Swiss, a Swiss bank? It's not an American bank. And, and it's American banks will destroy the world. Well, it's because 
it's one of the major banks in the world. There are a lot of them. Uh, the one in Germany is called Deutsche Bank, uh, which is a financial disaster case every year uh, and, and totally corrupt. Uh, so the uh, watch, you know, watch those banks. They can bring down the entire financial system. All banks are interlinked. Banks sell swaps back and forth between themselves all the time. And, you, and there's no public record of knowing what's happening from being you and I being able to look at what's going on. So if one big bank comes down, it can bring down the world's banks. That's why I watch what's going on in the world. It is a big deal. And Credit Suisse is one of the big boys. UBS is a big boy. Deutsche Bank's a big boy, et cetera. There are a lot of the big boys. Barclays in the UK is a big boy and seems to be sound, I might add. So that's it for this week. Uh, have a great week that's coming up. The, today it's sunny and gorgeous. I can't wait to get out in it. Uh, be talking to you. This is The Economy Guy signing off for another week. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to hit that subscription button. This is Tom Harvey. I'm an investor and not a financial advisor. Nothing should be construed as advice or solicitation to make a trade in any market. And I disclaim any responsibility for any negative effect of decisions made by the listeners.